continue our study uh, in Romans chapter 11, verses 11, or rather uh, 16 through 22. Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 22. And hear God's word. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump also is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be cut off. Let us pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and uh, it is a word which we find at times uh, has threatenings. It has warnings, even uh, to a believing people, even to the church. So often we find the warnings to the unbeliever, but the warnings to the believer especially get our attention. Father, let us let us sit under the teaching and the preaching uh, with due humility and receive the things which you have to tell us. Through the ministry of the Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all through chapters uh, 9 through 11, especially chapter 11, Paul has been speaking about Jews. He's speaking of the present state of the Jews as standing outside the church, but he's also speaking of the future of the Jews. And he has so much to say about the Jews, you might think, well, he's speaking to the Jews, but he makes it very clear. No, no, I'm speaking to the Gentiles. My message is for the Gentiles. And so right away you say, well, I'm a Gentile. What interest do I have uh, with the Jews? Well, listen here, Paul says, I'm speaking to you. I speak to you Gentiles in as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 13, he is telling us Gentiles, we saw this last time. How much blessing has come to the Gentile world as a result of Israel's downfall. The Messiah came to Israel. Israel rejected her Messiah and she has been cast off. The kingdom of God was taken from her and given to another. A people who did not know his name now have become his people. And and Paul uh, goes on to say uh, that if blessings now to us come to us by their fall, blessings will be untold by her acceptance. That's the future, verses 12 and 15. Uh, The fullness of Israel, which I spoke of last time. But even for the present, Paul says, until that fullness comes, the apostle magnifies his ministry to Gentiles, if by any means he may provoke to jealousy those who are his flesh and save some of them, verses 13 and 14. And this is also included In God's purpose for Israel's fall, as outlined uh, in verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Even now, God is working salvation 
among the Jews, though the fullness comes later. Some some are saved. And so this is a message for Gentiles. He would not, as he says in verse 25, have them or have us to be ignorant or to be wise in our own eyes concerning Israel. Again, that's verse 25. We'll get there soon. He is dealing both with our ignorance and with our pride with respect to ourselves and with respect to the the people of the Jews. He is instructing us concerning Israel so that we would not be ignorant. He is also exhorting us. So that we would not be proud. The trouble with the Gentile believer concerning Israel can take two forms. As we find uh, ourselves in the church and the Jews outside of the church. There's two errors that we might find in our hearts and in our minds. One is a kind of obsession with Israel. uh, Such as we find uh, in American dispensationalism. Uh, uh, Not only an obsession but almost a kind of Worship of Israel as though the church is an afterthought in God's plan. But the real plan of scripture concerns the Jews as Jews, not the Jews as Christians, you see, but the Jews as Jews. And as I put it in a prior sermon, the way the Jew will realize his true purpose in history is by embracing his Jewishness or his Judaism. That's uh, it's alarming to say, but that is the view of of an untold number of Christians in our land. But there is another error on the other side, and many of us came out of dispensationalism, and I wonder if we're guilty of this era, error. And this really was the error of the first century. And that's uh, which, the view which looks at uh, the state of affairs. We are in, the Jews are out, and says, well, God is finished with the Jews. The Gentile has been accepted, and the Jew is rejected. And therefore, here's where the danger, uh, the subtle danger of pride enters in. The Gentile assumes now, with respect to the Jew, a superior position. He has an air of superiority with respect to those who are outside. One of the ways that we could think about that, the way that the the Christian sometimes despises the Jew, is the way the Jew used to despise uh, the Gentile. And you remember what the the Jew thought, in fact, I'm sorry to say some, some Jews still think this, but they think of uh, Gentiles as dogs. Uh, they, are, they are subhuman. They are beneath us. Do you realize God has rejected them? He's accepted us. The danger is that we will begin to assume the same mentality with respect to them. Those who crucified the Messiah. Those who rejected their own. Is it possible that we have begun to despise them and to regard them as dogs. You see, on the one side of the spectrum, there is a kind of worship of Israel. But on the other side of the spectrum is uh, what we could call blatant Jew hatred, a despising of the Jews as a people. The Gentile who thinks either thing is both ignorant and he is wise in his own eyes, but he is ignorant with respect to the ways and the plan of God. Paul says, I would not have you be ignorant. I would not have you to be wise in your eyes. I want you to see the truth. I want you to see the mystery of Israel. And the mystery of Israel, as we've already seen in verses 12 and 15, is that there is a future for the people of the Jews, though at present they have been blinded. Well, Paul begins as we come to verse 16 with a statement of a principle in in the form of a metaphor. This is what he says. He says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump also is holy. And if the root is holy, so 
are the branches. The purpose of the metaphor is simply to describe the organic connection between uh, the part or the base and the whole. If the root is holy, so too is the tree. That's the thought. It's as simple as that. There is no need to look for a deeper meaning. The holiness, there is a holiness that the rest, the tree, derives from the root. If the root is holy, so too will be the tree. That's it. Now, I state that as simply as I can because verse 16 gave me the greatest difficulty of all the verses this week. So I'm making it as simple for you as I possibly can. Let us not be in difficulty about verse 16. It isn't the most important thought anyway. The real question is, what is the reference to each? You have the root and then you have the tree. And what is the root of the tree from which the branches spring? And this is where we can find ourselves in trouble. Because there are some who say that the root of the tree is Israel. The root of the tree is the Jewish nation. But that makes no sense of the passage for later, the Jews or the nation of the Jews are spoken of as branches which are broken off from the tree. The more natural and obvious reference, though Paul doesn't say it, is that the root of the tree is Abraham and the patriarchs. And it was from this root and stock that the tree the tree, by the way, let me define that, is the people of God. From the root and the stock of Abraham, the root uh, or the tree rather, took its form as that which is holy and set apart from God. That which springs from Abraham is holy. That's the point of the metaphor. Because Abraham himself, as the root, was favored by God. So all that springs from him is also considered holy and favored by God. Well, if we come to verse 17, we see that there are two trees. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, we'll stop there. There are two trees. There is the olive tree, which we are calling the people of God springing from Abraham as its root. And then there is, uh, on the other hand, a wild olive tree which is uh, the opposite. It is everything that is true of those who aren't the people of God. And what Paul is saying is that each tree has branches which are natural to itself. The Jews, as a people, grew out of the first tree and were natural to it. They sprung out of Abraham. And, and the first manifestation after Abraham of the people of God were the Jews as a people and as a nation. These, these branches were springing out of the tree from the root of Abraham. Only because of unbelief, we read that they were broken off. These natural branches were broken off and they were cast away. But here is the amazing thing Paul is saying. That those who came from the other tree, the wild olive tree, whose root was not Abraham, but sin and Satan, were broken off and they were grafted in. So that now their root became Abraham. They were included now in the tree, which we are uh, calling the people of God, the, 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 the olive tree of God's people. That's the amazing thing Paul is saying. The, the branches which were natural to the root, who grew out of Abraham by nature, the Jews were cut off. But those 
Those with no natural relation who came from another wild tree were broken off from that tree and they were grafted in to the olive tree. They were included among those whom God regards as my people. I will call them, uh, Hosea says, as Paul quotes in Romans chapter uh, 9, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. There's two further things that we could observe from what Paul says in verse 17. First, he says wild branches were grafted in among them. So that Gentiles here, as they are grafted into the uh, the olive tree, are envisioned as standing beside Jews or among Jews included in the number of the people of God. In other words, the picture is not Gentiles only, but Gentiles among Jews. In other words, let us remember here that the Jews as a whole were not excluded entirely. It's not as though every natural son of Abraham was broken off and cast off. No, as the wild branches were grafted in, they were grafted in among the believing Jews. There is, as Paul says, in his day and is true in our day, a remnant which remains according to the election of grace. Also, we see him saying that some branches were broken off, not all. Again, the picture is Gentiles standing among Jews. That was especially true in the first century. We see that in Acts, but it's true even today. If we should find uh, someone from the natural stock of Abraham find his way into this church, let us not be surprised. Second, as the Gentiles partake of this tree along with some Jews, Paul reminds them that they have with them, that is with the Jews, became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. What is he saying there? He is saying that as the wild branches are grafted into the, to the, the tree of God's people, that those wild branches enjoy and participate in the holiness that springs from the same root. Being grafted in, they are made spiritual heirs or relatives to Abraham. The holiness that they enjoy as the people of God uh, is the result now of their Organic connection with Abraham as his spiritual heirs and descendants so that they enjoy all the privileges and blessings that were promised to him and his children. Abraham now is our father, as we read in other places, and we his true spiritual sons. We are partaking along with the believing Jews of the root and fatness of the olive tree. John Murray puts this very well. He says, Gentiles are reminded that they draw all the grace they enjoy from the tree whose root is Israel's patriarchs. Gentiles and Jews partake together of the privileges that stem from the same root, namely Abraham. And it's with this in mind, the picture that he he paints in verses 16 and 17, the wild branches grafted into the the uh, the tree of God's people whose root is Abraham from uh, whence they derive their holiness as the people of God. It is that picture. Also, the, the natural branches, most of them, not all of them, or Paul says some of them were broken off and they were cast away. They they maintain their natural relation to Abraham. They lost their their special status as the true spiritual heirs. 
It's with that picture in mind that Paul has a special word to Gentile Christians, uh, which had relevance, obviously, in the first century, but I would say continues to have relevance in the 21st century. We have yet to see the fullness of, of Israel. I think we can say that quite, quite certainly. We've yet to see the Jews come in in any kind of large measure. If, if any are saved at all, it's, it's only a remnant and nothing more. And Paul has something to say to the Gentiles in light of that reality. And this is really the meat of the sermon. It's the exhortation with that picture in mind. Two main exhortations. One which is found in verse 18. Do not boast against the branches. Verse 19. Do not be haughty, but fear. In one sense, he's describing the the sin of pride against unbelieving Jews. In another, verse 19, he's describing the sin of pride in our attitude towards God. That's one of the ways we could look at it. And so he's warning Gentiles, he's warning us against the terrible sin of pride. The exhortation is to be humble. And the situation that Paul was facing was of the second kind. I spoke of the two kinds of errors. You didn't have dispensationalism in the first century for the simple reason that you can't find it in the Bible. It wasn't something that was even known in those days. But you did have what we face today, and that is Gentiles despising Jews. Gentiles who were coming into the church and they were despising Jews who were outside, or even worse, something that is possible, and that is a Jew who became a believer within the church is treated as a second-class type of Christian. Gentiles despising Jews. Assuming an air of superiority. Gentiles becoming proud. We're in You're out. We're God's people now. There are several problems with this. Paul doesn't just say, get rid of your pride, be humble. He does say that. He says it twice. Don't boast. Don't be haughty, but fear. But he gives us a list of reasons why this is a ludicrous position for a Gentile to hold. And the first, he states in verse 18... Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, the reason it is very foolish of a Gentile who's become a Christian to boast is that it uh, boasts against the Jew in particular is that it forgets his boasting, forgets the essential relation that we as Gentiles sustain to the olive tree of God's people. We are not the root, but we are the branches We have been grafted in by grace. But if we begin to despise the branches that were broken off, namely the Jews, if we begin to boast against them as not having a place when we do, then we are forgetting what supports our position in the tree, especially as those who are wild branches grafted in contrary to nature. What's what? supports our position as branches grafted into the tree is not our relation to the natural branches. It is our relation to the root. And that needs to be our constant focus, not the branches that were broken off. That's not the relationship that you need to be focusing on, Paul is saying. You need to be focusing on what it is that supports Your life and your place in the tree, namely the promises made to Abraham of which we are now partakers. We are meant to draw from the fatness of the root. 
Not to despise the branches that were broken off. Not to stand in superiority to them. You see, it makes no sense to boast against broken branches when we really have no right to be in the tree to begin with. And so right away, Paul humbles us to the dust. Think of the root, he says, not of the lost branches. But then he gives another reason. In verses 19 and 20, he again confronts this idea that branches were broken off, that we might be grafted in. True enough, he he concedes, but realize this. They were broken off, he says, because of unbelief, whereas you are in because of faith. And so the essential thing when we think of our relationship to the root, which is Abraham, and our place among the people of God is not nationality. It is not the fact that we are Gentiles and they are Jews. That's not the great thing. The essential thing that makes the difference is not nationality, but faith. Spirit wrought faith. That's what gives you a relationship to the root. And that's why those, even those who had a natural relation to the root, were cast off. Why? Because they didn't have faith. And if the relation, just think of this. Now, I needed a commentator to point this out to me, so I'm going to grant this isn't an obvious point. But I hope it will become obvious to you just as soon as I say it. If faith is the essential thing, not nationality, where then is boasting? Doesn't Paul say that over and over again? If you stand by faith, does that not make your position one entirely of grace? If by faith, where is boasting? Well, it's excluded, Paul says. You know, he said that earlier in the epistle. He said in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, where is boasting? He just said that God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Later, he'll say in chapter 4, the one who has a faith like Abraham, who was justified how? Not by being a Jew, Though that's a little strange to say even. But simply because he had faith. What does he say in verse 27? Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. It's the law of faith that justifies us along with Abraham as our spiritual father. That excludes boasting entirely. Why? Because faith is according to grace. And if by grace, well then, we have nothing to boast in. If we have anything of all, at all of God, it is purely the gift of of grace. The third reason verse tw- is given in verse 21. He warns us, as we've seen, do not be haughty, but fear. Why? Because of what he says in verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. You notice he's not saying that God will do this. Thank God he's not saying, you know, just you wait Just as he broke off the natural branches and he grafted you in. Well, he's going to break you off and then graft the natural branches back in. I've been saying over and over again, thank God, that is not the fullness of Israel. The fullness of Israel is just as we are grafted in, so the Jews will be grafted in again. No, he's not saying that God is going to do this, but he is saying that he can. He can do this. And he might, with respect to individual uh, churches, who become and Christians, professing Christians who became or become apostate. He did it with the Jews. He broke them off. Can he not do it with the Gentiles? He cast off those branches which naturally sprang from the root of Father Abraham, 
He did so because of the sin of pride and unbelief. What is Paul is saying to stop him from doing the same with us if we become as a church guilty of the same things? Similar to what we read in Revelation, uh, the first three chapters, the, the idea of the removing of the lampstand. Paul is saying, what is to stop him from doing this? He did it with the Jews. How much more so might he do so with us who have no natural place in the tree? Let me just say this whole idea of apostasy, especially with respect to churches, is what I hope to deal with uh, for the next sermon. But for now, let us simply feel the force of what Paul is saying. What he's saying, in essence, is this. You have no grounds to boast. You have no grounds of pride. What he's saying is calculated to humble us to the, uh, to the dust, to rob us of our boast against the Jew, to lay claim to grace and nothing else. If I have a place among God's people, it is solely by his grace. Finally, there's the warning of verse 22. Consider the goodness. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. That last phrase, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you'll be cut off again. That's the idea of apostasy. I want I want to preach a whole sermon on that. But just listen to the first thing he says. Again, speaking to Gentiles now who were grafted in, he says, you've tasted of his goodness, haven't you? You now know what it is to be numbered among the people of God. But have you forgotten his severity? Oh, behold his goodness, yes, but also his severity. Behold them together, not as separate, but together. As both existing in equal measure in the heart of God. And realize, again, as a warning, realize that he who was severe to the natural branches might become severe to the unnatural ones who were grafted in. Do not think Paul is saying, here's the warning. To churches that might become apostate, do not think that your position is more secure than theirs was. As Israel became apostate, so might you. Do you realize that is a very real danger confronting many churches? This is a danger that has become reality in countless churches. I have so much to say about this in the coming sermon. I want to save it. Uh, for that, but you see, this was their folly to think, well, God did it to them. He can't do it to us. Oh, do you really think that Paul is saying the danger of presumption to imagine that you're secure? That is precisely that the Jews, uh, the, the, the error that the Jews were guilty of, of thinking that they were in and nothing could ever make them go out, no matter how severe their sin of pride, of unbelief, or even of apostasy. Even if they became apostate, they did not believe anything could ever make them lose their place, and they were gravely mistaken. And just as God did it to them, so he can do it to us. That's the point. And so he has through the centuries. It is the man, and especially the church, who thinks like this, who needs to heed the warning. The man in the church who's become proud, who thinks nothing can ever touch him. No matter what he does, no matter how proud he becomes, it's he and they who need to heed the warning and to hear it. Well, let me say something as a final point about the terrible sin of pride. So he's been exhorting them, don't become haughty but fear Don't boast against the branches. What he's really saying is either don't become proud or stop it. Stop being so proud. 
You of all people ought to be humble. That's the point. And don't you see, after all, what what pride did to Israel? And that you would become proud and respect to them. How is it that you miss the lesson of Israel? What Paul is really saying, what undergirds all of this, is uh, is that sin is, uh, or pride rather, is the cardinal sin. It's the worst sin of all. It's the thing that makes God oppose a man and oppose a church and oppose a nation. He's gracious to the humble, but he opposes the proud. That's the history of Israel. Let us see, beloved, what a terrible sin pride is. And let us fear it and flee it like the plague. First, let me say something of its causes and manifestations. First, its causes. Primarily, it is that we see our position that God has favored us. Formerly it was the Jews, now it's the Gentiles. And we begin to deduce wrongly that it's because we're such wonderful people. We become proud of our position. We become puffed up. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to these Gentiles. For, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many, of, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And on and on he goes and he says, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's no room if God has saved you, if God has saved you as a Gentile, there is no room for pride. And yet we see it in the Corinthian church. We see it in the Roman church. We see that God has favored us and we begin to become proud, even as the Jews had uh, before us. Let us see our danger if that begins to happen. There is a second cause, and it's a wrong view of salvation, a denial of grace. It sees God's favor ultimately at bottom as something that is deserved. Rather than than as that which is freely given as that which is unearned, an unearned, undeserved favor. And so this kind of thinking begins to boast first in itself, then against others who do not enjoy what we enjoy. And then ultimately against God. With respect to others, especially, we begin to think we are in, they are out and why not? Are we not better than they? That's how it begins to manifest itself in our thinking about ourselves, in our thinking about others, and ultimately of God. We could also speak of complacency. There is another woeful manifestation of pride. The man who is too at ease, who's forgotten all about God and his holiness. The man who imagines that there isn't a single danger that will ever confront the Christian church in all the world. And so let us see what a terrible sin pride is. It's the greatest sin of all. It was the downfall of Adam. It was the downfall of the Jews. Will it become the downfall of Calvary? Pride is why the Jews are out. Unbelief, pride. Complacency. And the question that we ought to ask ourselves, seeing that we are given to the same sins, Is there any way to counter this awful tendency, any way to be sure that we will not become proud or or, or that if we have become proud, that we could become humble again? And there is one antidote to pride, Paul says. There are many, but here is one that he gives, and that is godly fear. Do not be haughty, but fear. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. What I'm saying is this, the way to counter pride is to have an appropriate esteem of who God is. 
in himself and who God or, or how he manifests who he is toward his people. The central issue, Paul says, is faith. They are out because of unbelief. You are in. Why? You are standing. Why? Because of faith. And faith is something that we've already seen that ought to humble man to the dust. There's no glorying. There's no boasting in self to the man who has faith. It is excluded. Now, I've already said that's because faith is a grace. And so man has nothing to boast in so long as he is saved by grace and not by works. But I could also say this. The reason that faith in God humbles man to the dust and the reason I would say equally on the other side that the man who is proud does not have faith is because faith beholds God himself. That's what faith is. Faith is a belief that God exists. But even more than that, I would say that by faith and and didn't we those of you who were there in Sunday school, didn't we see that by faith we behold God? And as we behold God, we behold something of his glory and his grandeur and his majesty. And you can't have a faith like that, which is true faith, and be proud, you see. Just as soon as we begin to behold something of his majesty, we are laid to the dust. Not only that, but by faith, we rely solely on God for salvation, the grace of salvation. But even as we do that, as we become conscious of his uh, his grace in saving us, we become aware of his greatness and his majesty. What do we see when we behold the glory of God? Well, we see his goodness, don't we? How good and kind he was to save us, guilty sinners such as ourselves. But let me ask you, did you also see his severity, even as you saw his goodness? By faith, do you see a God like this? One who is good, but also who is severe to those who are proud and unbelieving. Yes, indeed, that is what faith sees, for that is what God is like. And in beholding him, we behold both his goodness and severity. He is, we discover by faith, a very good God. Good beyond anything we ever could have imagined. But he's also one who has a severity beyond anything we ever could have dreamed of or imagined. He is one who is animated with a hatred for sin, a terrible hatred for sin. How do I know this? How how, how have I, by faith, been able to behold this about God? Well, I would answer that uh, in two ways. One is what he did with the whole nation of the Jews. If you go back and read your Old Testament, as I hope that all of you are, You will see such uh, manifestations of love and goodness that will amaze you. You will say, did God ever favor a nation like this? Was there ever a people that so enjoyed his abiding goodness as, as they? And yet, you will look at them now as those who are cast off and forsaken. And you will ask, what is the explanation? And you will find the answer of the Bible is the severity of God. God is not mocked. This is the lesson of the Old Testament. He will long wait for a people, but if they persist in unbelief, they will know his severity. And that's the kind of thing that ought to make you fear him. 
There's nothing more dangerous than to become complacent in our view of God, to tempt him always by our sin and unbelief. But but the thing, the second thing that makes me know it, the goodness and the severity of God and believe it more than anything else is the cross of Jesus Christ. And there, let me say, is a goodness. And I hope you would say with me a goodness that amazes me. It astonishes me to see the goodness and the greatness of the goodness of God in saving sinners, even to the point that he gave his own son. But yet. But do you also see in that? The terrible severity of God's wrath towards sin and towards sinners. Do you see both together in the cross? A love that is so great that he gave his only begotten son. And yet, at the same time, a severity so great. And to such an infinite degree that I could not be saved by anything less than the death of Jesus Christ on the God. Uh, On the cross, behold, he says, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Do you see both at the cross? Do you see both in the Bible? By faith, do you behold both in God? And is it not because we think of God in such a limited way as only good, but never severe that we, like the Jews, have become proud and complacent and, yes, unbelieving? Now, again, I want to say more about this in the coming sermon, how it is that a church becomes complacent and ultimately apostate. But for now, I simply say this. Do not boast. Do not become proud, but fear. Fear whom? Well, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, not he who can kill the body, but he who can kill the body and the soul. Yes, fear him and be humble. Do you see these two things always go together? Fear and humility. The man who is proud is unafraid. That's his, his problem. Nothing can make him tremble. He thinks lightly of God. He imagines God to be a harmless being who never hurt anyone. And so he makes a mockery of God. And yet I say again, do not be deceived, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 or 6. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of his flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. You cannot live your whole life sowing to the flesh and think that you will reap God's goodness. No, you will reap his severity. That is what that is Paul's warning. He also says in Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And let him who stands or or rather Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. That is the New Testament teaching on the subject. It is full of warnings to the church. And do you see uh, this is the, the last thing I'll say. And do you see that the apostle, in a sense, is making us afraid? You say, how can that be? Well, I'm saying that's exactly what he's doing. He's making us afraid of whom of God. In other words, what I'm saying is that the Apostle Paul is seeking to inculcate into us the very thing that was absent in the heart of the unbelieving Jew. And that is the fear of God. The fear of God, as John Murray said, that is the soul of godliness. It's the soul of faith. It's the thing which if a man loses, he will fall and he will become apostate. Let us be thankful, beloved, for the the warnings, the threatenings of Scripture. Why? Well, because they promote in our hearts a godly fear 
they remember they remind us that God is not a harmless being, but he's a terrible being in wrath and in might. He's full of severity. And yet we may thank him. He's also full of goodness. We should be thankful for the things that promote the fear of God in us. Let us be aware of his severity. A severity we might feel and experience in the absence of such godly fear. But by promoting godly fear in us, what's he doing? He's placing us as far away from his severity as he possibly can. By making us afraid, if indeed he has, he has secured us. This is how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it, and I think this is so helpful. What is accomplished by the threatenings of Scripture? He says, why then is the apostle writing as he does in this verse from Romans 11, which are before us? I will summarize my answer. He does so to warn the elect and to keep them from the subtlety of the devil, from presumption, from carelessness, and above all, from pride. These passages are ways in which God actually secures the perseverance of the saints. What the apostle is doing here is putting the fear of God into these Gentiles so that they will never depart from him. It is, it is God's way of securing the perseverance of his chosen people. You see, it is, I say again, in the absence of the fear of God that pride springs And so let us not be haughty, but fear, fear God. And that will become a fertile soil from which faith will grow and it will persevere. And and even as we find that God is being severe to others because of their unbelief. So we will continue in his goodness as we stand in faith. Am I saying that we are responsible for our own place in the tree? Far from it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And more on this in the sermon to come. For now, let us hear and heed the warning of Scripture. Do not be haughty, but fear, and do not boast against the branches. Amen. And let us come to the table together.